All right, in the book of Genesis and uh, chapter number 8, verse number 6. The Bible said, And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark. The waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. The dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Now I want to ask you two questions right there, laying a foundation. What is Noah concerned with? in our text. Is he not concerned with the amount of water that is still left out there and how much of it is gone or if, if it is gone? That's what he wants to see in verse number 8. To see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But my question to you is, is how did Noah know that the waters were abated? How did he know? Would you not agree with me from verse number 11 that it was because of the dove? The dove gave him the message. The dove came not into him in the evening, lowered her mouth, or came in in the evening, lowered her mouth, was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew. How did he know? Because of the dove. So wouldn't you agree that God let this little dove speak a message to the heart of Noah that he wanted to know? Verse 12, he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again to him any more. It came to pass in the sixth hundred and first year, in the first month, first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dry. God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou, thy wife, thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, all flesh, both fowl and cattle, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth, and his sons and his wives, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kind went forth out of the ark. Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. I was telling the pastor today, and I mentioned this in passing since Stephen is here, uh, when he was eight years old, he got a hold of a singing tape that belonged to his mother. 
And uh, the reason we know about this is because his mother, later on, got to looking for this singing tape of this certain group that had a song on it she wanted to use in the choir, and she found out that what Stephen had done is he had taken that singing tape and the cassette recorder went into his bedroom with no one else in there and preached a sermon on it. And on the tape, I wouldn't take a thousand dollars for it, on the tape he tells how old he is. He's eight years old. He doesn't even remember doing it. But he was preaching on Noah and the flood. And he'd get excited, you know, when he talked about God sending the flood. And Noah, he said, built an ark. And he wouldn't, he didn't like for his sisters to be in on his preaching because they'd shout. And he said shouting disturbed him. He didn't like that. Uh, but I noticed he liked it Sunday morning, you know, the clapping and all that. But anyway, he's changed a little bit. But one of the humorous things in it, him being eight years old, is he said that on that ark that every animal went in by twos, two of each kind. And uh, then he said they came off three of each kind because they had babies. Well, I don't know how much doctrine is in all that, but at least they did come off the ark. I wish you could hear that tape. Now let's look in uh, chapter number 9 and verse number 8. Noah's off the ark now, and God spake unto Noah and to his sons uh, with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, with every living creature that is with, it, with you. Verse 11, And I will establish my covenant with you, and uh, verse 12, And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for a perpetual generation. I do set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. I uh, know of a certain preacher who said that he tried to witness to his daddy many times and couldn't get through to him. But the one thing that they had in common is they both, both liked to duck hunt. And he said one day while they were out duck hunting that his father shot a duck and it fell to the ground. And his father went over to pick the duck up and there was a note that was taped onto the leg of that duck. He took the note off and unfolded it and read it, and on that note it said, God loves you. And he said that his daddy broke down right there and began to cry because he said that it was beyond his imagination that God would have this message taped on the leg of this duck so that he might know his great love and his great concern. It was a message, certainly, that came from a little bird. Our emphasis is how God speaks to our hearts in little ways. And of course, it will always line up with the book. But tonight, I want us to notice Noah's little bird and what the little bird had to say to him. There are three simple things that I want to point out to you as we follow along in our text. If you'll look with me back again in chapter 8, and verse number 10, 
We understand that Noah's on the ark, his family's on the ark, the animals are on the ark. We're going to notice later on how long they have been on that. But Noah has come to the point now to where he is, he is concerned about how it is on the outside. He, he's, he's feeling the desire to, uh, to move beyond now and to get back out. And so he's testing the waters out there. First he sends the raven that doesn't return, and then he sends the dove. And as he sends that dove out, I think the dove brings him not an audible message, but by the actions of the dove, Noah is receiving a message concerning the outside that he knows nothing about because he is up in the ark. And in verse number 10, I want to point out to you the first thing that I believe that this dove said unto Noah that was so important as he sent the dove out. Look in verse number 9. The Bible said, verse 8 again, he sends the dove out. Verse 9, but the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him into the ark. Now I suggest to you that when Noah received this dove back into the ark, he knew one thing, and that is found in verse number 10. The Bible said he stayed yet other seven days. So what this dove was saying unto Noah when it came back, Noah, I know you want out of this ark. I know that's the reason why you sent me. But the fact of me flying back to the ark is a message unto you. And the only thing I can say to you, Noah, is you're going to have to wait. Can you see that? He is wanting out of the ark. He is wanting the storm to be over and the water to be abated. And as he tests it, he uses this dove. But the very fact that this dove comes back says to Noah, there's no place out there where the dove can even rest his feet. So Noah, you can't go out there. If the dove can't go, you can't go. So the only thing you can do, Noah, is you're going to have to wait until this thing is over with. I notice in Scripture that there is a great emphasis on this thing of waiting. As a matter of fact, several great things in the Bible happened during a time of waiting. The Bible said they were waiting in the upper room when the day of Pentecost fell and the Holy Ghost came. They were waiting. I noticed that it was during the time of a stillness when Moses said to the children of Israel, Be still and see the salvation of the Lord. It was during their stillness that God parted the waters of the Red Sea so they could go over to the other side. We are encouraged many times to be still and to wait upon the Lord. But by nature, we are very impatient people. We are impatient in the stages of life. Oftentimes, I'll ask young people as they leave the church and I shake hands with them, I'll say to the young girl, how old are you? And she'll say, 15, well, almost 16. I'll say to the young man, how are you? How old are you? He says, I'll be 18 next week. And we have this urgency, and didn't we all, to grow up and to gain respect 
and to become mature citizens. And so we really struggled to make 18. And then after we got 18, we wanted to be able to say that we were 21. And then don't we get in a hurry? You find a young man, a young woman, 24, 25 years old, they're almost panicking because they're not married at that point in time. They don't want to wait. They want to get married. And then when you get married, you can't wait to get that house and get that new car. You can't wait for that good job. And then after you get all of that, the thing you begin to look forward to and start talking about is retirement. I can't wait till I don't have to come to this job anymore. I can't wait till I can retire and fish. I just can't wait. And so all of life is made up of us not being able to wait. We want things to happen now. And you can pick up on the heart of Noah when he sends that dove out. The whole reason why he is, he's not hoping that dove will come, go out there and come back and say, Noah, wait, it's going to be two more years. No, he's hoping that dove will go out there and won't even come back because then he'll know that the waters are gone. We do not like to wait, even on the stages of life. We don't like to wait on the situations in life. My goodness, your very pastor dug himself a hole in your presence talking about Walmart. And now we're all guilty. <laughs> he was honest. <laughs> but isn't it true? We don't like to wait at the red light and if the guy in front of us happens to not be paying attention when it turns green, man, our hair stands up on the back. Time to go. We don't like to wait in line. We don't like to wait on anything. We don't like to wait. I hate to go to the doctor. I, I mean, for several reasons, but the main reason is you go in there and you have to sit. They tell you when to come, and then you sit down, and then you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait beyond what you're supposed to wait, and you wait some more. And then they take you in this little room, and that encourages you because you think you're next. And then you wait, and you wait, and you wait some more. By the time you get done, you're really sick. Having to wait. This is the situation that Noah's in. He's going to have to wait. Noah, I, won't, I know you want out of this ark, but you've got to wait, boy. Now, let me point out two things about the waiting of Noah here. I notice, first of all, the ark that he is waiting in, the ark of his waiting. The beginning of this ark was a fabulous thing. There never had been one before. God gave Noah the blueprint for it. And don't you know that as Noah built this ark, completed this ark, and then got in this ark, that no doubt he, he had a feeling about him of success. And uh, no doubt he was, he was overwhelmed at this masterpiece. And when the rain began to fall, he probably sent Shem and Ham and Japheth, and he said, now just go throughout the whole ark and come back and report, is there a leak anywhere? We can't afford to have a leak. And I can see them as they come back and they say, Dad, there, there's not a leak in the whole thing. 
<laughs> and I imagine he probably said, Mom, ain't this wonderful? Look at this. Huh? He is no doubt overwhelmed at what, and he should be, at something that God has given him, something God has let him do, and something God has let him be a part of. But you know, uh, I began to read one day about uh, the stay that Noah had in this ark. Let me read it to you. There were 40 days in which the rain fell. This lets us know how long he was in there. An additional 110 days in which the waters continued to prevail. 74 days elapsed before the tops of the mountains were seen after the waters began their abatement. It was not until 40 days later that Noah sent out the raven and another seven days before the dove was released the first time. Seven more days elapsed before the dove was dispatched the second time. An additional seven days occurred before the third mission of the dove. This accounted for 285 days since the beginning of the flood and another 29 days elapsed before the events recorded in verse 13. Finally, 57 more days logged between the removal of the covering of the ark and the date of verse 14. This makes a grand total of 371 days. Or more than one year that the waters of the great deluge were upon the face of the earth. Now, no doubt when Noah first built this thing and first went into it, he found, felt like it was the grandest, safest place on earth to be. But can you imagine as time began to elapse, and no doubt he put marks on the sides of the ark there on the inside, keeping track of the dates. And can you hear him say, Shem, run down there and check the marks on the on the wall down there, how many days has it been? And Shem would come back to the dad, it's been 101 days. Man, 101 days. And then he sends another son back down there a little later on, and, and he said, go down there, Ham, and see how many days. He said, Dad, it's been, it's been 200 days. And you can just sense the anxiety building up. Now, the ark is a big ship. But I'm going to tell you something. If you've got to stay in a big ship for a whole year, it becomes a small world. And so as time begins to tick off, he becomes more impatient and he becomes more desirous for what's on the outside and he wants a change now. He, he has now become sick and tired of the ark. I just don't believe I can stay another day here if something don't happen. I need out. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Hmm? Boy, Noah begins, and he is, he's overwhelmed with his ark. But by the, by the time we read our text there, he is overcome by the ark. Have you ever been there? Bring that sweet little baby girl home, the apple of your eye. Then by the time she's 16, you say, if I'd have known you'd have been that way, I'd have never had you. As things change. 
Haven't you ever been at the place where you just thought, if you, if, if, if you had to remain one more day like this, if it's going to last one more minute, I think I'm going to explode. I can't wait anymore. Noah doesn't want to wait anymore. But he has to wait inside that ark. He has to wait. Because, you see, this is not voluntary. He has no choice. And when God shuts you up in your circumstance, it will never be voluntary. You will have no choice. You will be shut up according to His sovereign choice, and there'll not be a thing on earth you can do about it. Never! What is Noah going to do about it? He can't, even if he wants to get the sledgehammer and beat the side off this ark, what's he going to do with all that water once he gets out there? It's more than he can handle. The only thing he can do, and he has no choice, is he has to wait. Now listen to me, children. Wherever you are tonight, you don't have any choice in the matter. You might as well face up to waiting. Waiting. He has to wait. He has no choice. But now, not only did I notice the ark of his waiting, and I don't know what you're having to wait in tonight, but certainly if you're not, you will have to wait. There will come those times in your life when you want to move beyond what is happening. You do desperately need a change, but you can't make the change. You can't change the circumstances and situations. So you're left up to just impatiently saying, Lord! And you just have to wait. But I know it's not only the ark of his waiting, but I want you to notice the activity of his waiting. You see, the truth of the matter is, just because you're waiting and just because there's nothing you can do, let's say it's your health, Nothing you can do. It's your job. There's nothing you can do. It's your children. There's nothing you can do. There's finances. There's nothing. There are many, many things you can be locked up in. There's nothing you can do. But because you can't do anything doesn't mean there's nothing being done. Noah can't do anything about that vast world out there. I mean, he couldn't get out there and clear up all that water. Where's he going to put it? But while he is waiting, honey, there is some activity that is taking place. Your waiting is never wasting time. When you're waiting on God, you're never wasting time because God has a plan and a purpose and he's getting things ready for you. While you're waiting, he's working. Notice the things that are moving. God was active. The sun was active. Even the water was being active as it was evaporating and abating from off the earth. Everything around Noah that he couldn't even see, all of that out there was very active. But he couldn't play no part in it. And what God wants to do in your life, He's very active. He's planning things. He has a purpose. But believe me, He's not going to let you have a part in it. It's too big for you. 
So what he says to you is, you just sit still till I get done. You just wait upon the Lord. You just rest in the Lord. Noah, relax. I'll do it, son. <laughs> I know he's impatient like all of us. He's flesh. Don't you know those times he run for the big hammer? And no doubt mom had to say, no, Noah, not now, not now. If you tear that out, you'll kill every one of us. You're going to have to wait, boy. But don't we want to put our hands on the matter? Don't we want to at least try to clear up the mess? Don't we want to be involved? We just can't wait. We've got to do something. You know, I get sick and tired of hearing motivational preaching trying to get people to do something. Our problem's not doing something. We're doing too much. Our problem's nobody's waiting on God. What needs to be done, you can't do anyhow. I hear this motivational preaching all the time, you know, about any number of things, trying to get folks pumped up. And I have to go in and clear out the mess and tell people just sit back and rest until God moves and then things will work. 99% of all the activities and activity of the flesh is going on in the church in this hour. Noah, my son, quit pacing. Get over and get your feet somewhere. And I'll get this water taken care of. <laughs> and when I get done, you won't even need a bucket, boy. <laughs> when God gets done, honey, you'll realize what a job he can do. The embarrassing thing is you could have been enjoying the ride. If you're too busy trying to break in on what God was doing, then it wouldn't work no how. Wouldn't work no how. The activity. God's working everywhere. God's working in him. God has a purpose and a plan for making us wait. So the dove said to Noah, Noah, one thing I can tell you, God's not ready. So you just wait. Gee, I don't like that, do you? When I see something that needs to be done, I want to get it done. Huh? Wait. Wait. Now, the second thing that I believe this little bird said to Noah, the dove, as it flew out. Look in verse number 11. And the dove came in to him in the evening. And lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Now you can see what Noah's doing. He's letting this dove go. But now you've got to understand, 
again, Noah is desperately wanting off this ark. He's desperately wanting a change. He wants to get in high gear. And let that dove go. I somehow do not believe that Noah let the dove go and just forgot about it. And when it come back, he said, oh, well, you know, I forgot about sending that dove out. Do you? That dove has his number one attention. And actually, Noah, he turns that dove loose and he runs down there and does whatever he might do in the ark and who knows. And he comes back up and he said, Mom, is the dove back yet? And then he goes back off and he does something else and he comes back and said, Mom, is the dove back? And she said, Honey, you're wearing me to death worrying about that old dove. Just, it'll be back in a minute. But I can see him as he looks out. And his whole life is consumed with one thing, and that's looking and watching. Huh? You see, the truth of the matter, what the dove is saying to him is, Noah, you're going to have to wait. But while you're waiting, you can watch. You see, we never really see things on the move. We just catch them at a glance. We never really appreciate things while we're in a hurry. But God knows if he can ever make us sit still long enough, then he can get our attention and we will be looking and watching more carefully. Isn't it amazing what we take for granted? Look out, look outside now. You can see outside, look outside. Hmm. Somebody tell me what you see out there. Did you notice what Noah saw? He didn't see trees. What did he see? He saw a leaf. Locked up to waiting. But while he is waiting, he is concentrating and he is looking. And can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine when this dove flies in? Now, Noah saw a lot of trees in his lifetime. Just like you said, you saw that tree. But you know what Noah's seeing now? He's not seeing a tree. He's seeing the individual leaf on the tree. Has brought in the focus. <laughs> and can you see, as that dove comes in and brings that leaf, I can just imagine, oh no, I, I just feel like he did. I can see him grab that old leaf and just go to dancing and a shouting, saying, Whoa, mama, look at this, look at this. He said, Well, what's he shouting about? Well, I'm going to tell you something. You've been locked up on an ark. You ain't seen dry land, you ain't seen the sky, you ain't seen the clouds, you ain't seen a tree, you ain't seen a flower, you ain't seen nothing in a year. It don't take a whole lot to excite you. And I'm going to tell you, those who appreciate the things of God the most are those who've been locked up. And then you don't have to come in and preach them great big old sermons. And they ain't picky over this preacher and that preacher and who's the best preacher. 
Honey, they've been locked up and they're desperate for the Word from God. They need an answer. And if you just get up and pray a little simple prayer and preach a little verse, honey, it'll flood their soul. I'm getting tired of entertain, entertaining the truth anyhow. I want to say something to those that have an ear to, for what needs to be said. And the only way that can happen is God can lock you up. Have you ever noticed if you go to the doctor? Have you ever noticed and the doctor takes, runs some tests and he says, well, there is something there, but, uh, you know, it's going to take three days for them tests to get back. I guarantee you one thing, when you get home and the wife says, you know, darling, they called from the doctor's office and they said that thing, that knot that's inside, the, you wouldn't say, you know, I forgot all about that. Did I go to the doctor the other day? No, when you come home out of the field the first day, you're going to say, did the doctor call today? You come on there, did the doctor call today? Well, wonder what's wrong with him. How come the doctor ain't calling? Has he called today? You know why? God's got you locked up to that situation. You're interested in what has to be said. And you appreciate and see things more clearly than ever before. And don't take no big bomb. All you need is a little old leaf. <laughs> huh? Don't take no big gigantic song or sermon. Just a little old breeze. God's speaking a little old word to your heart and saying, Oh, Lord. I believe that'll carry me for a year. Several years ago, about 10 now, I had back surgery. Never had been down from anything much. And the doctor told me, he said, Now, can't, don't even want you riding in the car after you get home for two weeks. I don't want you driving for six weeks. And he used to love to play basketball, and he said, You can't do any of that for a year. And, uh, so I went to the house and I had to lay down, you know, lay on my back. Man, two solid weeks. I'm telling you, on the day, the very day, I had one of them in the church sitting in the parking lot. I said, you're going to drive me around the county. Oh, I so appreciated that drive. And then six weeks, I got to drive myself. I thought I just got my license. I waited to a year to the day and went back and played a game of basketball. And it all was so refreshing because I was in a time of waiting. And it made me appreciate things so much more. And it turned my ear toward heaven. God has you locked up. It turns your ear toward heaven and you're saying, God wins. What are you doing? When's it over? What's going to happen? You start watching. Those are the kind of people I love to preach to. Because they're wanting to hear something. They are wanting to hear something. You can watch. You can look. But they're very simple truths that God would speak to. I had a wonderful thing happen to me just a couple of, three or four years ago that illustrates this truth, how God makes things fresh to your heart. 
Can you imagine Noah when he stepped out of that ark? I believe God had everything in the right place for him. Yes. But I, in our area, we had a store called Roses. Did you ever have any Roses? Department stores. Okay, you got, you got. Well, you know, since Walmart, I mean, it's kind of shut them down. But, uh, and, uh, I went into Roses one day, I only want four, and at that time they were kind of diminishing as far as what they had on the shelves and all that, fixing the clothes out I guess, but anyway, I came out, and I just happened to see a station wagon pull in to a parking lot, and I saw an older gentleman get out and come around to the passenger side. He came around to the back first, he opened it up and he got a wheelchair out, unfolded it, got it ready, pushed it up to the back. Then he went to the door and he opened it up and his wife was totally paralyzed. That I could tell after a little bit. And he reached in and he put his arm around her and he pulled back out with all of his strength. He had to lift her all the way up off the ground. And I ran over and got the chair and held it and put it in the seat. Got her off his step. Look at me and thank me for helping him hold his seat. And then he said something to me I'll never get out of. He said, you know, I got up this morning and I thought it'd be a good day to get the wife ready. Clothed her, bathed her, clothed her, and everything. Get her ready. Put her in the car and said, I thought we'd just come to Rosie's. And I took her up and down the aisle. And I'm going to tell you, all the way home I cried. And I thought, you know, there's going to be a lot of folks going to Rosie's today. But there ain't nobody going to enjoy Rosie's. I said, old man, this one. Took him up and down that aisle. They squeezed all the juice you could squeeze out of roses, and it wasn't in Walmart. <laughs> God knows how to put flavor in life. Let you appreciate it. Noah, don't have to wait, but while you're waiting, keep your eyes open, because I'm going to show you some big things. It used to be small things. Things you used to take for granted. You used to see trees, but Noah, from now on, you're going to see leaves. <laughs> and now I want you to notice with me in verse 12 and down. The little bird said to Noah, Noah, you're going to have to watch. You're going to have to wait. But then the last thing that I think that this little bird spake to Noah, the Bible said in verse 12, He stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, first day of the month, the waters were dried off, and Noah went to work. <laughs> Now don't you worry about it. Somewhere along the line, God's going to let you in after he's finished. I've always noticed he said it's finished, and then he invites us in. 
He has all the water abated and cleared off. And the Bible said, and Noah removed, he grabbed his big hammer, and removed the covering on the ark. You know, there have been so many times in my life that I wanted to do something and God said, no, no. I told you, no, no. Forget about it, no. Then all of a sudden, when he had everything just right, he came back to me and he said, now, do it. I've got it ready. Thank God. There comes that time in our lives when we've been locked up, dried up, needing to change, wanting to change, needing help from God, couldn't do anything. God wouldn't let us do anything. And then all of a sudden, God lets us burst, uh, burst into a new day, a new era, a new sunshine, a new earth, a new rainbow. And that freshness comes back, and that joy, and that happiness. God said, now, go ahead. Go ahead. You can go to work now. Well, what a blessing when you get broken out and loosened up and set free from what's been binding you down. But see, God has time for that. He'll do the working, and then when he gets it done, then he'll let you in on what's done, as I said. Now, there's a great illustra- illustration of that in the Old Testament in the life of Joseph. Follow this with me just for a moment. You know, Joseph had some real tough years in the land of Egypt. He was a servant for 11 years. He was two years in prison, a total of 13 years. But you know, I don't think that that was the toughest years in Joseph's life. I really don't. Because those were years he couldn't do anything about. God had him locked up. But the day came when Pharaoh called him up out of the prison, put that royal coat on him, that royal ring, and give him the royal chariot, and made him second in power in all the land of Egypt. I think that's when his tough days began. Because you know what the greatest desire of Joseph's heart was? The one single desire that he probably thought about every single day was that daddy that loved him so much. And the reason why I know that is because when his brother showed up, as God put the picture together, the first thing he asked them, he said, the old man, and I can, I can just sense his heart that he's afraid they're going to say he's gone. He said, the old man, is he alive? Oh, they said, yeah. They still don't know who he is. They said, yeah, he's still alive. But you see, for nine years, he has all of this power. He's over all the military in the land of Egypt. And all he would have to do He's called his soldiers together and say, listen, there's an old man that lives up in Canaan. He's got 11 sons up there. I'll tell you exactly where he lives. And I want you to go up there and I want you to get him and them boys 
And I want you to bring him down here. And he had the authority to do it. And don't you know there were many nights when he went to bed, he said, Oh God, I almost gave the command today. I wanted to see Dad so bad. But you see, if Joseph had done that, he would have taken things into his own hands. And God wasn't ready for that. Joseph wasn't ready for that, and certainly his brothers weren't ready for that. God wasn't finished working on them. But Joseph, no doubt, said in his heart, I didn't start this thing. I'm not going to finish this thing. God, I'm going to leave it up to you, though I'd love to do it. I can't touch it. I can't touch it. And he never touched it. Those nine years his heart ached to see his daddy, he didn't do what he could have done. And then one day, He's back in his office, and one of the servants come in and says to him, Master, there's some boy men out here that need to see you about buying some corn. And that was usual because he was over all of that. And Joseph said, well, how many of them is there? And they said, uh, well, there's ten of them to be exact, sir. Ten of them. Well, where are they from this time? Well, these ten boys say they're from up around Canaan. You see, Joseph, the Holy Ghost nudging his heart and saying, you say Canaan? He asked what he said. He said, come here, son. Are you sure? Said, yeah. Well, did you hear any names? Well, no, except I believe I heard one of them speaking to the oldest one. Looks like the oldest one called him Reuben. Hmm. Can you imagine old Joseph when he stepped out that day? He never touched it. But God Almighty brought it to him. He couldn't do it and God wouldn't let him do it. But that day when them ten boys showed up, God said, now, Joseph, you can go to work, boy. And if Joseph had have done one thing up until that time, it would have been wrong, totally wrong. But because he's waited on God, he can't do no wrong. God's going to use everything he does. And when you wait on God until God speaks and God moves, it'll always turn out all right. God brought it all together. God's going to bring it all together for Noah. He's going to bring it all together for you. Thomas Kincaid, I love to see his pictures. Many of you can't afford them, but I love to see them. He had a little, it's a screensaver program I've got on my computer. And on one of the little pictures, it has this little saying there, and I love it. I wrote it down. It said, Keep thy tools ready. The Lord will find thee work. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Waiting on Him. Let me give you a little uh, poem in closing. Said waiting, yes, patiently waiting. Till next step made plain shall be. To hear with the inner hearing the voice that will call for me. Waiting, yes, I'm quietly waiting. 
no need to anxious dread. Shall he not assuredly guide me who giveth me daily bread? Waiting, yes, trustfully waiting, I know, though I've waited long. While he withhold his purpose, his waiting cannot be long. Waiting? Yes, still waiting. The Master will not delay. He knows that I am waiting for him to enlarge the day. Are you waiting on him tonight? Let us wait upon him for salvation. He is the only one that can give it. Let us wait upon him in service. He is the only one that can call us and place us where we need to be. Let us wait upon him in sickness. He's the only one that can touch us. Let us wait upon him in the situations of life. Waiting upon the Lord. Yes, with a yearning, with a desire. As I believe he creates within the heart of all of his children to long for that which he has planned for them. The rainbow and the sunshine and the green grass and the leaves upon the trees. Yes, we yearn for it, but we must wait.